Anytime there's a, a first in my life, uh, spiritually speaking, uh, it always just causes me to reflect back to where it all began. So um, y'all just, you know, some of you, you, you know a little bit of my story and some of you really don't know much at all. And so just stay with me. I want to kind of let you in my world a little bit um, and as to what led to today. And, and so I can remember it was back in uh, June of 2001 when I, uh, when, when I joined this church. And God was moving and working. Suzanne had always been involved in church throughout our, our marriage, but uh, I had not. I was not a believer. And so uh, a couple weeks prior to me joining the church, I surrendered my life to the Lord. Now, I didn't really know that's what I'd done. I didn't really know what that meant. And I had no idea that that would lead to this. Uh, but it didn't. So that, that morning, it was in June of 2001, I can remember coming forward. And this was in the East Sanctuary over there. And I, I came forward. Um, you know, Brother Bill was the pastor at the time, and he gives the invitation. And when I say I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I didn't uh, go to church when I was a kid. I didn't know how this whole church thing worked. And so he says, you know, at the end, he gives the invitation. He's like, you know, just come on down if you want to, you know, you want to get saved, you want to join the church or whatever it is. And so I come down and, and I grab Suzanne by the hand and I, I bring her down the aisle and we go down and we, we bow at the altar. And so I just start praying. I'm like, God, I don't know what to do, you know, this and that. And I pray and I pray and I pray. And, you know, I was say keep your head bowed and your eyes closed and i don't want to break that rule in church and so like so i get done praying and i keep my eyes closed and, I, and i'm sitting there and uh eventually i feel suzanne just start to squeeze my hand tighter and tighter and i i kind of i'm like okay time to break the rule so i i i kind of peek over at her and she looks at me and she says what are you doing and i'm like we're joining the church what do you mean what are we doing you know we talked about this and so uh you know i guess i just assumed that that brother bill would know that because i came down to the altar that i wanted to join the church and look everybody else is gone you know from the altar and it's just me and suzanne and then we got to go and talk to brother bill and so that was how i that was my first day uh, in, in membership in this body and so and then i can remember uh chuck lopez coming up to me he's coming by and you know that awkward thing like you, everybody's coming by and you're like you don't know how to you know i'm like i just like thought weird stuff and you know and so my wife looking at me like i'm crazy and chuck says you know amen brother now it's time to get plugged in and start serving and i'm like if you only knew what just happened you would not be saying that but then uh, i started reading the bible and, and, and the more i read the bible i was like okay uh now it's time to get plugged in and start serving you know as i read scripture you know i'm like okay we're, we're called to serve and so I, I immediately got plugged in in Awana, and then I felt like God was calling me into the youth ministry. Uh, and, and look, I, I just roll off like this was no big deal. But each one of these steps was a was a big deal in my life. And so um, as I began to serve in the youth ministry, and then I felt like God was calling me to, to be a Sunday school teacher, which is a big deal because I freak out when I got to talk in front of people. It, <laughs> And I'm just being honest. And so uh, I would freak out when I mean, like sitting in somebody else's Sunday school class, I would freak out if I felt like God was calling me to say something. But I dove in. And so let's fast forward about four and a half, five years. It was it was the end of 2005. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, I was a, for, a firefighter for 14 years. And so um, at about four or five years later, after I joined this church and, and received Christ, uh, we, we worked across the street at the fire department. We worked across the street from the police department. So we'd get calls over there all the time. We would we'd go over there. And really, basically, uh, what we would get calls for is this. Uh, people would rather go to the hospital than they would ra- than to jail. They would rather go to the hospital than to jail. And so they would uh, call us with all of a sudden they're having uh, chest pains and breathing difficulties. And 
because they don't want to go to jail. And, and so they, we call it incarceritis. And so that was the, the term we used because, you know, so 99 out of 100 times, they just, they, they just didn't want to go to jail. And so I can remember this one call. Uh, me and Kevin Lundy and, and Holden Stiegel, a good friend of mine, and, and if you don't believe the story, you can ask Kevin. He was there, and he reminds me all the time. Um, we go across the street, and when we walk in the door, I, I, can, uh, I can hear this unbelievable commotion. Like, there's this guy in there, and he is screaming and yelling and cussing. And he is, and so we walk into the room, you know, and there's policemen there doing their thing, and you got dispatchers and everything. So they're all in there, and there's probably eight or nine people. And then we walk in the room, and, uh, you know, he's, he's just working his way around the room. He's working his way around the room. He's not leaving anybody out. I mean, he's giving him what for. When he's done giving him what for, he just moves on to the next guy. Him what for. And then when he's done, he... And so he's going around the room. And uh, I, I'm just telling you... It, it, now, everybody, nobody's really paying him any attention. You know, they're just thinking he's the guy. He's all cracked out. Um, and, and he literally was. Uh, but... He came to me, and in the midst of complete and total chaos and screaming and cussing, uh, he stopped. And everything got quiet. And, and now everybody stopped. They want to know, like, what in the world is going on. And he looked at me and he said, you're a preacher. And I said, uh, you know, and I, I gave the good Christian response to that. I'm like, well, I'm a believer, you know, and as a believer, we're all called to preach the gospel. And, and he says, no, you're a preacher. I can see it in your eyes. And then he proceeded to just go on and just yell at everybody and scream at everybody. And, and you know, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, now I don't pay like from that moment on, I'm checked out. I'm checked out. Like what in the world? I mean, I'm, I'm, my goal, my desire is to retire as a fireman. I love serving in the youth, absolutely 100%. But I'm a fireman. Zero, zero desire to go into the ministry. And so we walk out the door, and uh, Kevin's first response was, Preacher man. And I, my first response was, shut up. <laughs> he, was, he was cracked out. And, and then Holden's response was, God spoke through a donkey. It, it, <laughs> I went up. I went up and I locked myself in my room. I literally locked myself in the room. I'm like, what in the world just happened? But, you know, fast forward. In, huh, yeah. <laughs> Here we are. And so evidently he knew something uh, that I didn't. And so, uh, you know, and, and then, you know, that's been a, a journey. And what I want you to understand, it's been a journey to get to where we are today. And so one of the one of the things I want to do is I just want to. I want to talk to you really about something that's just been such a key, uh, just played such a key role in my life. This verse that I'm about to tell you, uh, I have I have thought about more, I've meditated on more, I have prayed more. Uh, it is it is this is a verse that drives many of the things that I do, and I believe that that's the intention of it. And so uh, this verse uh, is out of Matthew 25, and, and it's a parable. When you don't need, you can turn to Second Timothy. That's where we're going to be. I believe that's where. God's going to lead us. But I just want to kind of drop this in your lap. Um, in, in Matthew 25, uh, Matthew 25, there's the parable of the talents. And so, you know, we, many of you know the story. And so uh, the master entrusts uh, five talents to one and two talents to another and one talent to another. 
And, and so uh, then they all have a choice. You know, what do we do with these talents? And the one with five, he goes and he just gets busy right away and he earns five more. And the one with two does the same thing. And the one with one goes and digs a hole and buries it. And, and so uh, when the master returns after a long time, we hear his response to the servants, both the servant who had five and the servant who had two and really engaged with what God had or, or the master had given them. And so Matthew twenty five twenty one says this. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And so this this right here has been just a driving force in my life to, to hear the words well done good and faithful servant like i like i want to hear that more than i those words mean more to me than any words than anybody could speak to me in this entire world to hear god to to think that i might be able to live in such a way and invest my life in such a way that he would say well done son well done and I believe that, that, that that's what God wants for us. And so um, for us this morning, I mean, we can say, okay, well, that's great. You know, we all, as believers, we want that. And so we, we march out of here, right? We get fired up when we march out of here. We want to hear these. Well, well what do we do? What does that look like? What, is a, what does a life well spent look like? And so that's, that's where we'll land in Second Timothy in chapter 2. And so if you, have, uh, if you have your own Bible, that's where we'll be in Second Timothy chapter 2. If you have, want to use the Pew Bible, that'll be on page 1367. And so we're going to look, and I believe that God's just right here in this passage. He's given us these uh, images, this visual imagery of, of what it physically, tangibly looks like to live this life out. And so understand that in this letter, that this is, this is Paul writing Timothy, his, his beloved son in the faith. Now understand, this is, this is Paul's last letter that he writes. This is, this is the last record that we have. Now, now I have been just consumed with 2 Timothy uh, really the course of this whole summer. I, and you can ask the students. We've done like two mini-series out of this book, and I, I just can't get away from it. Because just think about it. Now, think of the person that you love most. Think about that movie that you've seen. And, you know, like you, the person knows that they're about to die, and they're about to have their last conversation with somebody that they really, really care about. All of a sudden, now what you say just carries a lot of weight. I mean, it does. I mean, and so um, you're not talking about, you know, uh, the football game yesterday. You're not talking about what you're going to have uh, for Labor Day tomorrow. You're, you're very intentional about the things that you say. And what Paul's doing here is he's passing on the baton to Timothy. And in Timothy's case, he's hanging on every word like he wants to know. I mean, this is this is his father in the faith. This is somebody that he truly looks up to. And so we get this picture of him just like, okay, let's just stop and let's just kind of peer into what's going on here because this is kind of cool. This is kind of important. So that's where, um, that's where I've been this summer. And so we're going to read Second uh, Timothy chapter 2 and we'll read verses 1 through 7. Um, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Pray with me real quick. God, that's our prayer, that you would... 
Give us understanding in this moment, Lord, that you would just bring this scripture to life and just put your thumb uh, on us, God, in the areas of our life where you'd have us to, uh, to be more obedient, to be the people that you call us to be. God, we want to we wanna be the people you call us to be, and it's an unbelievable privilege to be a part of building your kingdom. Lord, help us to see that in Christ's name. So here, here we see, here's Paul writing to Timothy and, and understand that, you know, Timothy's kind of struggling. He's having a hard time. He's, he's coming against opposition or opposition is coming against him. He's leading the church in Ephesus. And, and you know, anytime that you're doing what God would have you to do, opposition is going to come. And, and so uh, clearly, and he's worn down, he's tired. And so what Paul is doing here, and I think we can all under, like we can get that. There are times in our life where we just get worn down and we're tired and it's hard and life is hard. And doing the ministry that God entrusts to us is hard. And so um, that's what he's doing here. He's, he's writing to, to challenge and to, uh, to encourage Timothy. And so uh, in this passage, we see that, um, you know, Timothy is doing what God called him to do. But the believer, every believer has got this calling on their life. And so uh, I don't want you to check out because uh, I'm a pastor. You know, first of all, I didn't know I was going to be a pastor. And and so we see clearly in Scripture that uh, there's a call on the life of every believer. And so so in 2 Timothy, just a little bit back from where we were in in chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, it says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our work, but because of his own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And so there's this purpose, this calling on the believer's life, even before time began. And so in Ephesians it says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you were called. And so there's this calling on a believer's life that we can live for something greater than ourselves. We can invest in something that's going to have eternal impact. And so we see that here. And so in verse 1, it says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace of that is in Christ Jesus. And so we see from the very beginning, uh, he says, be strong, be strong. Now, he says, he says it in a certain way. He says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the same way, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, before Paul launches into talking about the armor of the God, he says, be strong in the Lord. And so our strength comes from the Lord and, and it's in the grace of God. And so here's, you know, the, the title of the sermon today is living with the end in mind. But really, uh, we got to live with the beginning in mind, too. OK, so we stand in awe of, of what God has done, what he accomplished on the cross. And so we stand in awe in that. And as he extends grace on the life of a believer, then we are then called to be uh, agents of grace, to extend grace in the lives of others. And so um, there's what you have to begin. The only way the things that we're going to talk about today, they're hard. They're hard. And the only way to live a life that truly matters, it starts with with receiving the grace of God. If it doesn't start there, you can't like you have to to get to point B. You have to start with A. And so it starts with the grace of God. But for for believers, you have to understand what he's saying here is, look, it's continually walking in grace. It's not like we just need grace when we receive Christ. It's a continual walk in grace. And if not, the world and our opposition is going to beat us down. And so it's this continual walk in grace. And we understand that the same grace 
The same grace that was applied to your sin and my sin is the same grace that's applied to our service. The same, the same grace that we didn't deserve when we were forgiven is the same grace that we need to be used by God. And so that grace is applied uh, uh, at the beginning and, and from that point forward. And so it has to be uh, evident in every area of life, in every area of our service. And so what, what Paul does here is he gives us these vivid imageries. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about four things this morning. We're going to break it. We're going to talk about the teacher, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And this is what I believe. I believe when we live here, when we take these principles and we apply them to our life, I believe that God's grace will flow through us and then we will have powerful ministry. We will, we will live a life, as that video will show, that, that we're going to make it count for the glory of God. And so in verse 2, we'll start with the teacher. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so here we, we get this picture of the teacher. And so what Paul says is he says, look, here's the deal. Timothy, you know how I, I loved you and I, I walked with you and I invested in you and I taught you the things that I know and I led you by the scripture and I, I poured my heart and my life into you. Now, what, what you are to do is that wasn't just for you. That was for you to then take and to pass it along. And so what you do is you you take people under your wing. And now you're going to invest in people. You're going to teach people. You're going to mentor people. So that you can then pass it along to them. And then in turn they can pass it along. And so what I, my, my uh, vision of this is like a chain. Like a link in a chain. And Paul's saying, hey look, you're just a link in the chain. And so uh, the same, and it started back with Jesus when he taught the twelve, and then the twelve taught others, and then those taught others, and so and so the link in the chain extends all the way back to Jesus, and extends all the way forward to Jesus, and we have this unbelievable privilege, this unbelievable privilege to play a part in that, that we would be a part of that link that passes on to the, to the next generation, that we would have this uh, unbelievable privilege to invest in the lives of others, and so. And here's what I believe. I mean, I think about where Paul is. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, he says this. He says, For I've already been poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so Paul understands it's, you know, it, the end is inevitable, and I'm not going to live forever. But this message, this message will. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass it on. And what you need to do is you need to pass it on. And what they need to do is they need to pass it on. We invest in the lives of other people. And so here's the thing. One of the things I tell students all the time, your faith, how it is very, very personal. The way in which God saved you was very, very personal. Very, very personal. The promises that we see in Scripture, they are personally. If you're a child of God, they are personally for you. Personally for you. But your faith is not private. It's not for us to... He pours into us to empty us out. And so our faith and the promises of God and the things that we learn, they're very private. They're not private. They're very personal for each and every one of us, but they're not private. They're intended for us to take and then to reproduce our faith in the life of other people. And so, you know, for... And in Scripture, you know, it's not an option. It's not like God, you know, says... He says, hey, you know, if you feel like it, go and make disciples in all the nations. If you, if you feel like doing that, if it's not too inconvenient for you or no, it, it's a mandate. There's this command to go and make disciples as you're going. 
that we would invest in the lives of others, we, we, we would take the gospel, take it out of here. And so, look, here, I understand that there are uh, all, there, we're in all different seasons of life. We're in all different uh, places spirit, of spiritual growth. And so, I, you know, I, I just think back, you know, here's the deal. I, I didn't know nothing about nothing, okay? Like, I can remember that. And so, you know, for each one of us, this may be a very, very different thing. But the command is to teach. I want you to understand the command here is to teach, to, to take the word and to, to invest in other people. And so for some of you, that means, um, you know, you just need to start having conversations with your kid. You need to sit down and talk about the Bible. And when practical, practical things come into our life, talk about how the Bible applies to right where you are, to right where you are. And so just to, to, to sit and to, as you spend time in the Word, that you then share that with your kids. For, for some of you, what if you have a teenager here, like, ask them what they're learning. Allow them to teach you as well what's going on in their lives. And so, um, you know, I think back to uh, whenever I initially got involved in church. I, like, I was like, okay, I can't do much, but I can listen to some kids say they're Awana verses. And I can love on them. And show them that somebody cares. And so my point is, is we can't, you can't check out the room and say, well, I don't have the gift of teaching. That's, there's always opportunities for us to take what God has shown us in Scripture. Take what you're learning in here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night or what you're learning in your, your personal Bible study and share that with the people that you work with. Pray. Look, pray for opportunities. God... Give me an opportunity to share what you're showing me. Give me an opportunity to share what you're showing me. And so uh, there's all sorts of different ways in which we can do this. And so, uh, you know, I challenge you. And, and for some in this room, it's just, you know what? You need to be mentored so that you then can mentor. And so you need to find somebody that will walk with you and that will show you and teach you and love you. And so, you know, find somebody that knows more than you. And be mentored. And then find somebody that knows less than you. And then mentor. And that's what God's showing us here. And so number three. Moving into soldier. Or I said number three. Verse three. Uh, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so here's, here's what the soldier knows. And, and we tend to think of suffering different than the Bible describes it. You know, the Bible sees suffering in a totally different light. In, in Romans 5, and this won't be on the screen, but in Romans 5, that passage where it says, uh, suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character. You, you know what I'm saying? Uh, one of the things I just love in my Bible, I have underlined, suffering produces. Suffering produces. Because suffering, uh, what the Bible teaches is God is producing something in us through the suffering in which we encounter. And so what Paul's saying here is he's like, look, you're in a war and you just need to understand that when there's a war, there's suffering. If you want to share with me some war that there's been since the beginning of time where there wasn't suffering, I'd be glad to listen. But in war, there's suffering. And understand, if you're a child of God, whose team you're on. In 1 John 3, 8, the Bible says this. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's your commanding officer. The devil doesn't like him. You're on his team. You're in his army. So don't, don't get caught off guard whenever the enemy attacks you. It's coming. You're in a war. You're in a war. And to be honest, 
We're on the front line of that war. And so we can't get caught off guard when we get shot at. We can't get caught off guard when we get shot. We can't get caught off guard when people we love and care about get shot. You are in a war. If you belong to God, you're in a war. And the enemy hates your commander. He hates your commander. And so we, we should not be dis- surprised at this fact. And so in verse 4, we continue. No, uh, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And so he continues that thought. And here's what I know. It's so easy in America to to just to forget that we're in a war. It's so easy. There's so many toys and so many distractions. And the enemy is really, really good at lulling us to think to sleep, lulling us to sleep and making us think it's Disneyland instead of a battleground. And so, uh, you know, we get caught up in it. And so uh, what, what Paul's saying here is don't forget what's going on here. Don't forget that you're in a war. And he says don't get caught in civilian pursuits. And so, you know, and it's not that the, things are necessarily a bad thing. Like it's Labor Day weekend. I'm sure that uh, if you're off from work tomorrow, you probably have plans for Labor Day. You probably have your meal planned out. Maybe some of you are going to go to the beach or maybe you're going to, uh, maybe you're like Tony, you got to get away for the whole weekend or you, you know what I'm saying? Or maybe you're taking the boat out or uh, I'm sure that you have plans. And these are civilian plans and it's not that they're bad things. And it's, I'm not telling you, hey, you can't have that. Look, we're having ribs and potato salad tomorrow. I'm excited. But <clears throat> I'm not telling you, you can't. Yes, we are, really. Uh, I'm not telling you. That, but what he's saying is, is, look, there's a very different. The way that you're approaching tomorrow is very different. Very different from the way that the soldier in Afghanistan is approaching tomorrow. See, the soldier in Afghanistan isn't really worried about ribs and potato salad. He knows that he's in the middle of a war. And he's focused on, listen, he's focused on the mission. He's focused on the mission. And so, um, again, it's not that these things are necessarily good or bad things. But when we start building our little kingdom, we get caught up and wrapped up and consumed with, with the things of this world, with civilian pursuits, and we lose sight of the mission, we lose sight of the fact that we're in a war. Listen, you're on the front line. Whether you, If you're a child of God, you're on the front line in this war. Now, you're either fighting or you're on the front line. You're a dead duck. But you're in the war. And so what we can't do, and that's what Paul's saying here, is we can't forget that we're in a war. And so in Acts 20, 24, Paul says this. He says, but I do not count my life of any value or nor precious, uh, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so here's this picture. He's saying, look, my life's not mine because I have a commanding officer. And that commanding officer is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this idea of when we come to God, when we come and, and we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, that's the position of, of authority in our life, that He's now the one that calls our shots. And if He says, leave the fire department, then you just leave. Look, you're not going to win. He's going to get you. So we leave the fire department. And so... Um, we have to understand that he's the one that's calling the shots, that we don't call the shots. And when we, we live like this, again, opposition will come and affirmation will come. Like there will be haters and there will be those that support you and everything. But here's the thing that we've got to understand. Neither one of those really matter. What matters is what our commanding officer says. That's what, that's what matters. And when we walk in total submission, that we would 
that we would hear the words, well done, soldier, well done. And then understand that if you're in a war, you're, you're in the war until the day that you die. We don't get to check out. The soldier doesn't get a day off. He can't afford it. Verse 5. Roll into athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, here's, here's the thing. And it's football season. Now, me, and, me and Goose were sitting on the couch last night and we were watching a game. And I just, and Suzanne was there too. She wasn't watching the game. We were sitting there and, and I just looked at her and I looked at him. And I'm like, we're watching football. Like, I, I love football season, and I love that fall comes right around football season. I'm, I'm really looking forward to some cooler weather. But here's the thing. Uh, you know, as, as uh, the pros start next week, you know, I think sometimes we get discouraged and we think that something's unattainable. And so we look at people, uh, these great athletes, and we think that that's completely and totally unattainable. We look at them because on game day they make it look so easy, don't they? I mean, they, they juke and drive and they do their thing. And maybe football is not your sport. Whatever it is, like, whatever it is, the greats make it look so easy. They do. But understand that that's just game day. That's just game day. And, and, and understand that it's not just talent, but it's, it's effort. It's effort that supplies. And so, um, you know, and not just effort on game day, but effort that takes place Long before the event, long before the event. And great athletes know that um, there's a price to pay with discipline and preparation. There are tons. Listen, there, for every great athlete, there are tons and tons and tons that are sitting of people that were greatly talented, greatly talented, that are sitting on the couch and watching them because they didn't understand the value of discipline and uh, preparation. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 uh, through 27, it says this, Do you not know... That in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so in the same way that a, that a great athlete would prepare and, uh, and practice discipline and self-control in their life, that's, that's what the believer, that's what the, the greats do. And so, you know, oftentimes I think, um, I think we look at other people and we get, we get discouraged. Maybe you, think of the person that you most look up to in your life who is spiritually mature. And you look at them and you think, man, there's no way I'll ever... Like, I can't be like that. I can't, I can't do that. I can't. And, and so, you know, like, I've got this thing. Like, I really, like, I, I keep struggling with the same thing over and over and over again. And I struggle with anger. I struggle with pride. Or I struggle with this. And I struggle with that. And, like, I've never seen any victory. And da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And so we look and we get discouraged and understand the same principle is true for the athlete as it is for the spiritually mature. That um, they didn't get where they are. They didn't get where they are without hours and days and weeks and months and years of discipline and training and hard work. And obviously, I mean, remember where this starts. This starts with saying, be strengthened in the grace of God. It's God's grace being applied to that. But we've got to do our part too. 
We've got to do our part too. And so it's not that it's unattainable. Look, I, I can sit there. I can remember, um, you know, after, after the dude that was all cracked out, you know, after that, you know, there was always this thing in the back of my mind. I'm like, really? Like, you know, and then I started, uh, then I started getting affirmation from people around me. Like people around me were saying, you know, you're going to be the next youth pastor. And I'm like, no, sir, no, ma'am. You know, and then I can remember on Wednesday night sitting over, uh, sitting over and, and watching Tony and thinking, I am so glad because I can't do that. Like there's no possible way. I can't do it. So I'm off the hook. And, and I can remember really uh, believing that. And so, but we, what we have to understand that there's this process where we, we begin to train in such a way that we want to win the prize. In, uh, in 1 Timothy, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this. He says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you followed, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God. And so here's this picture. Here's this picture of of toiling and striving because we have our hope set on the living God and living for Him and living for Him. And so great athletes, really to kind of wrap up this idea of great athletes uh, and speaking of this, uh, you know, because what Paul says here is he says an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So we know we're talking about somebody who's striving to win the crown, somebody who's striving for greatness. But he says according to the rules. And so, well, what does that mean? You know, I, I believe that there's some, you know, there's some relevance here as competing to the rules of the event. But one of the things that took place in this time is you would you would have to if you were going to compete in the Olympic event, you would have to stand before the council and you would have to swear that you had trained for 10 months leading up to this event because they didn't want a bunch of knuckleheads showing up on game day. You know what I'm saying? And so the, the value here, when we're talking about the rules of the event, it's this picture of saying, you know, to train. And great, great, great athletes understand the value of training. And so it's not just about trying, it's about training. And so, for instance, if I, if I told you um, this evening, we're going to do it this evening, and I'm, this is totally hypothetical. Don't show up with your tennis shoes. This is totally hypothetical. But we're going to do it this evening because then you could get prepared. You could go home. You could stretch out. You could change clothes. You could wear your tennis shoes. And if I told you, here's the deal. We're going to come back this evening. We're going to have a 100-yard dash. And the winner, and look, we're going to do it in age group. So this is totally fair for everybody. We don't want a 15-year-old going up against a 70-year-old. That's just not fair. So all you 70-year-olds, you got each other, you know. So here, so, and, and here's the thing. If you win, you get $1 million. Every, every person gets $1 million if you win your age group. Now, understand, when we lined up out here this afternoon, there would be maximum effort by everybody. Everybody would be trying as hard as they possibly could. 100%. You'd be given everything that you got. But you know who's going to win the race? Those who have trained in that way. 
And so it's not just about showing up on Sunday and saying, I'm just I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try. Or maybe you find yourself in that situation around that group of people and you're like, I'm just going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try. It's what are we doing in the, in, in the moments when nobody else is watching, when nobody else is in, in the room? What are we doing in those moments to train ourselves for game day? And what he's saying here is he's saying training is of greater value than just, than just trying. And so athletes know this. And I believe that the greats take a totally different approach uh, than those who just are happy with being in the race. And sometimes, if I'm just honest, sometimes I feel like it's just hard and it takes a lot of work and I get tired. And uh, sometimes I just want to just, just, just finishing is okay. Like I just, you know, and, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'd all say that. Like sometimes it's just like if I just finish, it's okay because this is hard to do it the right way. It's hard. It's hard. And so for you and me, what does that physically look like? I believe, I believe it's this. I believe that um, just, like, uh, just like Paul said in 1 Timothy here, he said uh, in verse 6, he said, If you put these, th- these things before the brothers, uh, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And I believe that training is training in the Word of God. Spending time with God, studying uh, and figuring out who He is and what your purpose is and what my purpose is and how He's called us to live and being challenged by the Word of God and spending time studying and praying and pursuing God in our relationship with Him and then taking what He's showing us and applying it to our life and just faithfully being obedient to what God is showing us and then faithfully being obedient to what God is showing us and then faithfully being obedient to what God is showing us. And it's just this walk of training and training and training. And guess what? We don't ever quit training. We don't ever quit training. And so I believe that that's that's where we are. And so um, and in that process, and in that process, and he he says here in in 1 Timothy 4, 7, he says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. He says, okay, there are going to be things in your training that you're going to, say, you're going to begin to say no to certain things and you're going to begin to say yes to certain things. In uh, 1 Timothy 6.11 says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. You know that the athlete is not going to have a cheeseburger before competition. So there are certain things, as God reveals to us, we begin to say no because they're key keeping us from reaching our full potential. And we begin to say yes to certain things that will spur us on and launch us to our full potential to live a life that matters, that God intended for us to have. And so that's naturally going to come. It naturally comes for the athlete and it naturally comes for the believer who is obedient. And so the question is, we move to the last uh, section here, uh, is are we willing to train for greatness? Are we willing to train in such a way as to, to win the crown? Give me just a second. My throat started killing me last night. Okay, farmer. Now, uh, it's funny, as I was listening to Tony last week, if you were here last week, he spent some time talking about the farmer and farming. And so he really laid uh, a good foundation uh, for that. And so I'm not going to hit on a lot of the things that he talked about, but I do believe there's two key points that that, uh, we have here. So in verse 6, he said, It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. 
And so last week, Tony talked about how, uh, you know, the farmer can't afford to take a day off and the farmer is hard work. There's always something that needs to be done. And the, the idea here is that you would do what needs to be done today in hope of what God's going to do in the future. And so this hope of something in the future uh, fuels what we do today. And, and so, you know, sometimes this principle is hard. Sometimes this principle is hard because here's the thing. Oftentimes, we, not oftentimes, most of the time, we don't, because we don't see the harvest right in front of us. Because you, you plant the seed in the fall, but you don't see the fruit of that until summertime. And we don't see any fruit. We don't see any harvest. And we get discouraged and we get tired and we get worn down. And it's hard. And so in Galatians 6, it says this, Do not be deceived. So this is good or bad. Understand, this is, this is where we're at. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So if you're tired here this morning, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. He will not be mocked. Whatever it is that we're sowing into, harvest will come. You may not be able to see it today, but harvest is coming. And so for the one who sows to his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. Did you hear that? And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. And here's the truth. Here's the truth. For everybody in this room, just stop for just a second and survey the land of your life. Look at your life and where you are today, spiritually, uh, in your family, in your relationships. Um, you're reaping a harvest of what you've sown into. Or some of you, oftentimes when we're in painful situations, oftentimes we're just a product of somebody else's poor sowing of seeds. And we're reaping that harvest is coming to fruit in our lives. And so, But understand something. The things that you've sown into, the things that I've sown into in the days and the weeks and the months and the years leading up to today are, are coming to harvest, whether it's good or bad. It's coming to harvest. And so the painful thing is, is like today, like, let's just say that God says, okay, here's the deal. Like, this is what you need to do. And you're like, I'm, I'm in. I want to live a life that matters. I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to hear that. Here's the thing. You start sowing today. You may not reap from that until days and weeks and months and maybe even years. And you may continue to reap from the decisions that you've made over the past days and weeks and months and years. You understand? And so don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. And that's the, the principle here. And, the, and the, the main thing is I want to launch off into this and then we're going to close. Is farmers understand, farmers understand faith. There, there are no faithless farmers. It doesn't exist. Faithless farmers are something else. They do something else. They're not farmers. They're not because faithless farmers do not exist. So if you're if you're a farmer, then then understand he's talking to people. If they're farmers, they've invested everything. They've invested their entire livelihood. They've invested all their money into this. They've invested all their time, all their energy day in and day out. They get up and they go to work day in and day out. They go to work day after day after day after day after day. And if it doesn't rain, what happens? See, the, the, the harvest is not dependent upon them. 
And so they totally are dependent upon something outside of their control. Totally dependent on something outside of their control. So there's no such thing as a faithless farmer. And so here's the thing. That's scary. Let's just be honest. That's, that's scary. That's scary to invest everything and then depend on somebody else to send the rain. You know, I was, uh, I was watching a video this week. And uh, actually, I read an article and then I, I, I watched the video. But um, I was listening to David Platt. Is he? And I, I don't know if you're familiar with what's going on here. Man, I am. Su- I am super excited about what God is doing. He's uh, David Platt accepted uh, the position of president for the International Mission Board. I'm so excited about what God is doing there. Um, but he he mentioned in that uh, interview. He mentioned something that he mentioned at a conference I was at. Now, uh, you know, after. After the cracked out guy, I just continued to do what uh, I was doing. Uh, you know, I was just, I was, I knew God had a call on my life and I didn't know what it was. And so I was just going to be faithful, to be obedient, to do whatever God called me to do. And so um, in the beginning of two or the end of 2010, Tony asked me to come on staff just to be, just to help him with the youth ministry. And so I gave myself a title, which was the part-time assistant youth helper. And so that, like with that, there's no, really, there's no responsibility. You're just the part-time assistant youth helper. And then it wasn't long after that that Brother Bill left and Tony stepped in his interim and he comes in my office and he says, okay, it's yours. And I'm like, I didn't sign up for that. I'm the part-time assistant youth helper. That's me. And, and so, uh, you know, but so over the course of the next year, I was at the fire department and, and I was here. And uh, early in 2011, me and Tony and uh, Donnie was here at the time. We went to a conference and David Platt was speaking at that conference. And he says, uh, and he said this in the video, which made me think about uh, this time. And so in, in, at this conference, he makes a statement. He said, you know, he said he, he challenges himself and he challenges his, his church um, to, to come before God. If we would be a people who would come before God with a blank check and that we would take that blank check and we would just slide it across the table to God and say, God, you spend our lives however you want. That's scary. In that moment, I wept like a baby. Because <laughs> that moment, I'm, I'm wrestling. I, I, I'm going to retire from the fire department. That's, that's what I'm doing. I'm going to retire from the fire department. And I can remember sitting there. I'm like, God, if I slide that check across the table, I know what you're going to do. And it's scary. I'm scared. I'm scared. And so I left there and I, I came home and I, I printed out a, a blank check and I stuck it where I would look at it every single day. And I'd have to every day I would have to look at that blank check. And there finally came a place where I said, OK, God. OK. And I, and I just I slid it across the table. And I knew that, that the, what he would fill in would be full-time ministry and that I would leave the fire department. And so, and I say that with no hesitancy. I, I, uh, now look, the day that, and it wasn't easy because it's scary. You know, being completely and totally dependent upon because God had to send the rain. God had to be the one to send the rain. I can remember driving out of the parking lot of the fire department for my last time. And I was like, God, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. And, and we can laugh now. There wasn't any laughing going on then. There wasn't any laughing going on then. But that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to take a blank check. I challenge you. I challenge you. You get you a blank check. And you put it somewhere where you can look at it every day. And you say, God, spend my life however you want to. I want to live a life that matters. I want to live a life that counts. 
I want my life to mean something in your kingdom. I want to, I want to hear those words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I want to hear those things. And look, if we'll do that, understand, I believe if you just peer into the pages of Scripture, if, you, if we do that, look, God wants to do more in you and through you and around you than you ever thought possible. And I am just testimony of that. I am testimony of His faithfulness. God wants to do more in you and through you and around you than you ever thought possible. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. We look at, at all these, the teacher, the soldier, the athlete, the farmer. It's, they're all hard. And it is so worth it. It is so worth it. And so for each one, each one, and I believe the common thread here, and there's a couple common threads, but the one, uh, you know, obviously there's self-denial, there's discipline, um, it's hard. Um, but I believe that the common thread here is the reward. The hope of the future reward. The hope of the future reward is driving what these four think, these four people do. This driving what we do today. For the teacher, the teacher can uh, do what they do because they know that God's going to pr- produce disciples. And so that one day they're going to be disciples that are teaching other disciples. For the soldier, they know that, that, that there's victory in the battle. There's victory in the war. For the athlete, they know that, that the crown is coming, that you, that you actually win. And then for the farmer, it's this, this unbelievable picture of getting to taste the fruits of the harvest. And so and for, the, for, the, for the farmer, um, you know, I look at this and I think, you know, when it says it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And what I believe that means, I believe that God's saying, look, for the farmer, you get the front row seat, the front row seat to seeing what the hand of God move and work and do great things. You're the one who gets the front row seat to that. And so for me, for the believer, the greatest reward is we look at at all of these, um, the teacher getting the disciples, the soldier getting the victory, the athlete winning the crown, the farmer getting the taste of the harvest. The greatest reward for us would be to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And so here's, here's, as I was looking at this text this week, and, and I, if you had sat down with me Last week, before I was just eating this, and you said, Brian, tell me what are the four great, the four things that have had the greatest impact in your life? What are the four things that have impacted you spiritually more than anything else in the world? Now, obviously, it's God's grace shining upon those four things. But I would tell you, the four things that have had the greatest impact on my life spiritually would be teaching, suffering, teaching, Suffering, training in the Word of God, and stepping into places that are uncomfortable where I've got to be completely and totally dependent upon God. Those are the four things. And those are the four things that we see right here in Scripture. Those are the four things that He's laid out. Those are the four images that we see. That's what's laid out right before us. And I'm not there yet. Believe me, there are days when I I don't want to train. I just want to hit the snooze. When I don't want to be in a war, I just want to... I want to have a day off. There are days that, that I, I just want to take a break. But I, I just believe that, uh, you know, as a church individually, what drives me is to, to hear, well done, son. Well done, daughter. That, that God would look at, at Michael Memorial and say, well done, Michael Memorial. That's my hope 
individually for me and for you. That's my hope uh, as a body that God would use this body and that we would step out in obedience into difficult places. And I believe that's what we're doing. And I believe that's why we go and we do as much as we do because uh, we want to have a great impact on this world for the kingdom. For the kingdom. And I don't want us to be content with mediocre or with just being good, that we would strive to be great in the kingdom of God. And so when Paul says, look, this is how you do it. If you, want to finish the, if you want to cross the finish line and you want to do it well, you want to be able to say that you fought the good fight, this is what it looks like. Last illustration, I'm done. Um, back in the 90s, there was a, uh, there's a video, and you can go on YouTube and watch it. The, there was uh, two ladies that were running, uh, doing an Ironman. I don't know if you're familiar with Ironman. Uh, but basically, it's you're doing a race of 140 miles. And so you swim uh, 2.4 miles, and then you bike 112 miles, and then you run a marathon, 26.2 miles. That's a lot. You get tired when you do something like that. You get tired in training for an event like that. Well, there was uh, these two ladies, uh, Welch and Ingram. And so Welch is coming to the finish line, and she can see the finish line. I mean, like, she's there, and she has uh, given everything... She, she's done what we're talking about. She has given everything that she's got. She has trained. She's left it all out on the track throughout the course of this race. And she's coming to her end. And, and she can see the finish line. But yet, here's Ingram coming up behind her. And these two ladies are completely and totally spent. And so, Welch is turning around. She's looking. And, and when she turns around and looks, she, she falls down. And, and if you watch her, it's hard to watch. It is so hard to watch because it looks like she's running on... on spaghetti noodles not uncooked but cooked i mean her legs are just wobbling and she falls down and she can't really get back up and then ingram's coming up and she's and and i say they're running they're really not running they're walking fast and just kind of and so they're just both of them just continually keep falling down and falling down one point uh welch falls and ingram trips over her and there they are and they both try to get up and they can't get up and so what ingram does is she starts to crawl to the finish line and then welch starts to crawl to the finish line and here they are in slow motion I mean, they're giving everything they got, but they're, they're trying to get to the finish line. They, they have left it all out there. And, and Ingram crosses the finish line. And then Welch crosses the finish line. In that moment, they just totally collapse. And, then, and I don't know whether it's the husband or the coach or just a friend. Or, they come and scoop her up. They come and scoop her up. And she's like, I tried. I tried. And he says, you did great. You did great. You did amazing. And I just pray, I just pray that when that time comes for me, when it comes for you, that God will look down on us and say, well done, well done. Let's stand. God, that's, that's what we want more than anything. But we know it's easy to say and hear and hard to do practically as we get up and go about our day tomorrow. So, Lord, help us to be a people that would give our lives to be that which you called us to be, Lord. That, that we would, uh, that the end reward would drive everything that we do today and tomorrow. And that we would train as you would have us to. Lord, put your thumb on our lives, God. Where? Where do we need to be obedient? God, I pray that there are people in this room. Lord, I pray wholeheartedly that there are people in this room that will go home and they'll pull out a blank check and they'll put it somewhere and they'll, they'll sit and stare and ponder and meditate and pray and come to a place where they say, God, spend my life 
however you want. And that means taking what you've shown us today in Scripture so clearly and applying it to our lives today. So, Lord, in this time, would you do what only you can do, Lord? We are completely dependent upon you to move in our hearts and in our lives. We pray that you do that in Jesus' name.